0: Uh, Luke 6, 37 through 42. So Luke six thirty-seven: Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, another difficult passage We pray that your spirit would work and speak to each and every person here. Lord, you know everyone here. You know what their week has been like. You know what their fears are. You know what their distractions are. You know their hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you would use your word even in this moment to help us to see clearly and to help us to take that step to open our lives up to you so that we might be transformed into your likeness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in uh, 2018, uh, a group of psychologists asked people whether they agreed with this question. I am more intelligent than the average person. And 65% of the people said yes. (laughs) Now... Uh, There's a chance that that is possible because the average doesn't point to the exact middle of the data, so it could be a little off one way or the other, but it's highly unlikely that 65% of the people are actually smarter than the average person. And maybe it will come to no surprise to you that men were even more likely to say that they were smarter than the average person. Another study asked people to rate their driving skills. Are you an above average driver? 93% 93% of Americans <laughs> said yes. Now, that is pretty much impossible. It's kind of like saying Utahns don't like sweets. It's just a strange coincidence that every single shopping center has a cookie shop that is built there. Social psychologists came up with a term for this called illusory superiority. Illusory Superiority, this idea that we tend to think we are better than most people in certain ways, whether it's driving or intelligence or whatever it might be. And it's more likely, though, that we don't see ourselves rightly. It's almost impossible, if not impossible, for 93% of people to be above average. And instead, what we're looking at is a picture of ourselves after we've kind of put the shine Instagram filter over that image. And we are working in this series through the book of Luke called The King Has Come because Luke shows us that Jesus is the king of all creation and he is setting up his kingdom. And what he teaches us here that in his kingdom, people see themselves rightly. His kingdom is the, the only place where people actually have a right picture of themselves. They aren't hypocrites. They see the good and they see the bad. Instead, often what we do is we can see other people's faults in, you know, 4K Ultra HD, every little detail, but then we look at our own lives with rose-colored glasses. Do you see yourself rightly? Do you see yourself rightly? We're going to look at this just two ways. First, seeing rightly, and then second, seeing clearly. So first, seeing rightly. Uh, If you remember, this is a long speech by Jesus. In the book of Luke, it's his first public speech that we have recorded. In the book of Matthew, this speech is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has this large crowd that has been following him, and he's done a number of miracles healing them. And he now has this captive audience. And so he takes that opportunity with these hundreds, possibly thousands of people around him to help show them what his kingdom looks like. And as we've worked through this speech the past two weeks, we see that there are a lot of hard things that Jesus says. These have actually been some of the more difficult sermons that I've written. How do I preach these things without being a hypocrite? Jesus says, blessed are the poor, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Now we get to this passage and initially it feels a little bit easier in fact, I heard it at some point that the best known scripture passage in general or amongst Americans or something like that, which I don't know exactly how you measure that, but the best known scripture passage was John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. But a number of years ago, the, the passage, best known scripture passage changed to our passage, do not judge. This is a verse that people love to quote against Christians every time Christians make some sort of moral pronouncement. That's the verse people know. Oh, don't you know, Jesus says, do not judge? So what are you doing, you hypocrite? Well, what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? Is he saying you can never speak any sort of condemnation? Is he saying you can never tell someone they're wrong about something? Or is he speaking in maybe a more narrow sense? And it doesn't seem that Jesus is saying here that you should never make any sort of judgment because in the last verse of our passage, he says, take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there Jesus is telling you that you need to to get your eyesight right, but then you will have the ability to see that in your brother's eye, there is something there, a speck, and it shouldn't be there and you can take it out. That is a judgment that you're making. So Jesus is not saying, never judge. Instead, he's saying, we often don't judge rightly. We're hypocrites with how we judge. That's the warning that Jesus gives at the end of verse 38. The measure you use will be measured against you. We tend to be generous with ourselves, skimpy with others. This fits with the rest of scripture, where it shows that God gives certain people judges Uh, Church leaders, other people, their job is to make judgments in certain situations, whether in the church or in the the government realm. Christians, we are called to make judgments on whether this thing, you know, should I do this thing or not? That is a judgment you're making. So Jesus here is speaking more narrowly about what is your attitude towards others? Now, maybe you don't think you're judgmental, but think about these things. What is the story of? that you tell yourself about your coworker or your boss that you do not like? Or how do you react when someone cuts you off in traffic? That's one of the 7% of people that are worse than average drivers. (laughs) What commentary runs through your head about that neighbor you have who's really difficult or that family member who causes all kinds of stress? See, in your mind, you're judging them, you're often condemning them, right? You're looking at their actions and interpreting them in the worst possible light. Why are they always like that? Why do they never do anything right? Why can't they just give me a break? Why do they always have to have their own way? And this, I think, is what Jesus is getting at. In your day-to-day speech, in the words that run through your head, in the ways that you think about others, what is happening there? are you making these judgments about others? And put it another way, do you just always see yourself as one of the 93% who's a better than average driver? We are all backseat judges. And Jesus gives us these four principles that all have the same form at the beginning of our passage. Two negative ones. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. And then... Too positive, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Jesus is saying that life is kind of like a boomerang, that whatever you send out is at some point going to come back and hit you. (laughs) And is it going to be a blessing or is it going to hurt? What have you been sending out in your life? Is it judgment and condemnation or forgiveness and generosity? What runs through your head? Judgment and condemnation, or forgiveness and generosity. Jesus is giving us something like a personality test to reveal your own heart. So just examine, even maybe take this afternoon or some time today and think about your thoughts and actions own speech over the last few days. Do you spend a lot of time being frustrated with others? Why is she always late? Why don't they work as hard as I do? Why don't I get the recognition that I deserve? Why don't they seem to care about me? Now, don't they see how messed up they are? Judgment and condemnation can be subtle. And we spend a lot of time replaying certain things in our minds. Continually venting to other people about what this person did. How others have messed up. How these people are slacking off. Or on the opposite, as you examine your thoughts and your speech over these last week, do you see forgiveness and generosity? Forgiveness means you stop replaying that scene over and over again in your head. Forgiveness means you don't just keep storing up, you don't have like a file cabinet of everybody else's faults that every once in a while you can pull out and look through to make yourself feel better. Forgiveness is not thinking always about all the things you wish you could tell that person? Are you critical of others continually? Or are you always comparing yourself to others? Yeah, well, that person may be good at this, but I'm a better driver than they are. They might be successful, but I'm a better dad. You find, yourselves, you find yourself that having things you need to believe about other people Narratives you need to create about other people so that you can feel better about yourself. Forgiveness frees you from all that. Now, if you're like me, you spend a lot of time not forgiving, but running through those scenarios, right? And it's kind of like you're living your life always revving the engine, but the car's in neutral. And you're wasting a lot of gas, but you're not actually going anywhere. All that judgment going on in your head is just not hurting anybody but you. And instead, imagine how much you would enjoy life and be in the present and be there engaged with your family and your loved ones if you didn't spend so much mental energy being upset with other people. Imagine how much more of the beauty in the world that you would see, the flowers, the mountains everything else that you don't see because you're so focused on being upset with this situation. And forgiveness is the key to that. But forgiveness is really, really hard. One way to kind of illustrate how hypocritical we are is uh, Francis Schaeffer had this illustration where he would say, imagine if everybody was born, or when you were born, God put an invisible tape recorder around your neck, and he lived back in a day when The tape recorder was a thing, right? Today it's a, you know, a microchip that gets inserted (laughs) into your neck. And it records everything that you ever say, all right, throughout your life. And then when you die and you stand before God in that judgment, God doesn't open up the Bible and go through his rule book and kind of grade you like he's giving you a report card. He says, hey, you know what? Why don't we just go off how you judged others? And so he replays your life. Oh, I see here. That at this point you were sad or you were really upset about this person who said they would do this thing and then they never did it. Well, let's go through your life. Did you ever say you would do something and never did it? Say, oh, no, that was different. And then he says, oh, I see you got really upset because this person reacted poorly to what you said and you kind of held that against them for a while. Let's see. Did you ever react poorly to something that someone said to you? you say, oh, no, but that was justified. But eventually, as you go through your entire life and see all the times you held people to a certain standard, and then all the times you excused when you fell short of that standard, you would realize, man, I am such a hypocrite, and I didn't even see it. You know, just as one side note, I think this takes away, sometimes people have that objection, but well, how can God judge people that never knew the Bible or never knew about him? That's not fair. And this shows God doesn't even need to use scripture. He can just use that law that is written on people's hearts, that standard that they have for others. And we all just even fall short of that, let alone God's law. And that's one of the warnings in this passage. Realize how hypocritical we are without even seeing it, that you aren't judging correctly. You're you're like a judge who's been bribed by your ego and self-image to always rule in your favor and recognize that. And then Jesus goes on. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and make no, t- pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This brings us to our second point, seeing clearly. He gives this humorous illustration. Then how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? And it's just a, it's a funny picture if you imagine it. Imagine not even a plank, but just a stick, a one-foot stick or a pencil sticking out of, say, your eye doctor's eye, right? And every time he gets in close to examine you, he keeps poking you in the face uh, because he's got this pencil sticking out of his eye. And then he says, oh, I see something in there. Here, wait a second, let me take this, you know, scalpel and get this thing out. And you're like, there's no way you're bringing a sharp... Uh, edged object close to my eye your depth perception is severely off right now and jesus says that is what we are like we all have this tendency to see so clearly even obsess over this speck in someone else's eye and think that that is a bigger issue than that pencil sticking out of your own eye and when it comes to seeing other people's faults, we have 20/20 vision. But when it comes to our own, we have 2200 vision where everything is blurry enough so we're not bothered by any imperfections. And notice the ways that Jesus describes that relationship you have to that plank in your own eye. He says, "You pay no attention to it. You fail to see it." Now, you think of how could someone Pay no attention to a stick sticking out of your eye. But you know what? If you've lived with it for your entire life, you wouldn't notice it anymore because it's become part of you. All of it. Maybe you have a limp or something and you live with it long enough that you forget it's there, but it's the first thing that anyone else sees about you. And sin, which we are all born with, distorts our vision from the beginning so that in one sense we've never seen clearly ourselves so we think this is what's normal. It's like when you give your first public speech and there's someone there that you know, counts how many times you say ah or ah in that speech and at the end of the speech they ask you how many times do you think you said that and you think um, I don't know maybe five and they said, no actually you said it 65 times. Right? We lack self-awareness. And there are so many places in our lives where we don't think we're doing these things, where we won't forgive others, where we're judging others, where we fail to see these faults in our own life. We fail to see it. We pay no attention to it. We don't see ourselves clearly. And why is that? Well, the root issue is sin. We're all sinners And one of the effects of us all being sinners is that we don't want to deal with the unattractive parts of ourselves. It's why some people are so judgmental. They're so quick to talk about the faults of other people, but don't you dare talk about my faults. But on the flip side, there are some people who are very sensitive to criticism and you replay something that someone else said over and over in your head and and yet that person is in the same way blind and distorted. They're two reactions to the same thing, illusory superiority. Every one of us, in one way or the other, is in the business of image management. We want people to see, we want others to see ourselves as a certain type of person, or this, or that, and that will make you overly sensitive to the criticisms of others? Oh man, maybe I'm not hiding this thing as good as I thought. Maybe they, they that, that hurt because maybe it's true and I don't like that feeling. And it makes us busy judging others so that you never have to take the time to stop and sit in front of the mirror and see yourself truly. We're all trying to convince ourselves that I'm a certain type of person. I do these things and we're so afraid to admit that actually we aren't as put together as we want to look that we have these nasty things in our heart that we try really hard to keep down we're afraid to actually put the glasses on and see ourselves clearly it's kind of like that reaction that you have when you listen to a recording of your own voice or worse watch a video of yourself and you're like do i actually sound like that why do i do that weird thing with my hand every five seconds and you turn it off this is too embarrassing That's why we're afraid to see ourselves with our sin. It's too embarrassing. We don't want to admit it. There's that famous line from Shultzenitzel where he says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart, through all human hearts. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? We're afraid to see ourselves rightly, because when you see yourself rightly, you might be forced to admit that the things that you so clearly hate and cannot stand in others is also living in you. That that evil that you see so clearly in that other person, that line runs right through your heart as well. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his or her own heart? you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove this speck from your brother's eye. And so how do you do that? How do you admit to deep things that maybe you've been hiding for decades? How do you have the courage to actually look in a real mirror instead of that photoshopped image that you've been making of yourself? My brother-in-law is an ophthalmologist and Uh, He specializes in certain cornea surgeries, and I, I asked him this week if he had any stories that kind of related to this passage, and he mentioned that just that day, actually, he'd done a cataract surgery on this older Mexican lady. And cataracts, probably most of you know, a surgery, it's like, you know, replacing the windshield for your eye, right? You have this old pitted windshield that you can't see very clearly, so they take that lens out and pop a new one in, and he said it's one of the, you know, few miraculous things where your eyesight is almost instantaneously restored, and... So that day after the surgery, when she came back, he took the patch off her eye, and for the first time in years, she could see clearly. And the first thing out of her mouth was, I didn't realize how old I'd become. (laughs) And She was half joking, but you know, there's an aspect that it is scary to see yourself clearly. Sometimes you'd rather have blurry vision than see all those wrinkles and those lines and that saggy skin. And the way to see yourself clearly is to realize, the way to have the courage to do that is to realize that there is a God who has already seen you, even the darkest and worst parts of you, and he is still committed to love you. Because if you know that, you won't be in fear when you start to open up those dark things in your own life. You won't be crossing your fingers saying, man, I hope this isn't the thing that makes him blow up and kick me out of here. Instead, you know that this person, this God, has seen you at your worst, has seen all the things you've been hiding, all the things you keep stuffing down, and he says, I still love you. That's why Romans 5, 6 through 8 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God says, I see you, And I love you. Do you know love like that? Or instead, do you kind of have baked into your mind that Christ only died for good people, and so you're trying really hard to prove to yourself that you're a good person that Jesus would actually want to die for? Or do you recognize that he's died while you were stuck in sin and running away from him? This is why confession is such... An important part of the Christian life: confession of our sins. Confession isn't, as often people think, "I just got to list all the ways that I screwed up this week and then hope that God um, won't kick me out for it." No, in confession, you're not telling God anything that He doesn't already know. He's been seeing it in your life for years. Confession is you actually taking that step to stand to step into the light and to be honest with yourself and inviting God's healing light into the dark parts of your heart so that he can cleanse it. To have eye surgery so that you can start to see clearly and know those places where you aren't right. It's what Soren Kierkegaard wrote where he said, Much that you are able to keep in the darkness, you first get to know by opening it to the knowledge of the all-knowing one letting God do that work of making you holy and whole. And that puts you in a place then to actually help others when you do see something in their life. You come to them not out of superiority, but someone who says, I've found someone who knows everything about me and he still loves me. And I want you to know him too. It allows you to point out other people's faults in love. There's a place for us to do that. We're to speak the truth in love to one another. But so often we speak the truth to others as a way of not having to deal with our own faults. We speak the truth to others as a way to get even to somebody that's made us mad and help us feel better about ourselves. You can speak the truth to others because you want them to be able to see clearly as well. And that the one who healed you can heal them. Uh, My brother-in-law told me this other story of a a cataract surgery he did, which stuck out to him. And there was this woman who was in her young forties and she'd had blinding cataracts for years. She hadn't been able to see in in a long time. And because of a lack of health insurance and some other things, she wasn't able to do anything about it. And she had a four-year-old son whom she had never seen because of these cataracts. And there, the day after that surgery, with her family in that room, and Mike took the eye patch off her eye, and all of a sudden, for the first time in her life, she could see her son. <laughs> that cold examination room transformed into a joyous family reunion. I can see my son. It's scary to see yourself clearly. But it's also one of the most beautiful things when you can finally see the ones you love and the one who loves you. You see, our blindness, our spiritual blindness, isn't just, it's a protection mechanism to keep us from seeing ourselves, but it's also keeping you from seeing the glorious beauty of God and to realize how wonderful and glorious he is, that he is worth it. And that is what Jesus is asking of all of us today, to humble yourself, to stop doing image management, stop hiding those dark parts of your life, stop distracting yourselves with judging others, and to confess your sins before him, to let him do a spiritual eye surgery, and then to realize that joy of seeing clearly and seeing that the beauty of God and of this world is so much more than you realized because you've been hiding in the dark. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would transform us with these truths. We pray that you would help us, Lord. Some of us have been hiding things in our life for decades and living in denial. We pray, Lord, that you would help us this moment to see a glimpse of your glory and your love and give us the power to step into the light so that we can be truly healed. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.